You are now listening to The Big Data Beard. Hi, everybody. This is Corey Minton with The Big Data Beard. We are on the road trip to Conf. We are well into the journey. We're having fun. And we had so much fun on our last conversation with the team from Red River Technologies. We invited them back. I've got my buddy... Kyle Prince joining me on the podcast. Hello. Well, we've, uh, like I said, enjoy- invited the guys back from Red River. Red River gentlemen, Kevin, Ramon, how are you doing this morning? Fantastic. Great, great. For those who don't remember our last conversation, would you guys be so kind as to introduce yourselves? Sure. I'm Kevin Stapro, Vice President, Design Engineering at Red River. So really looking at the our engineering practice, our engineering strategy, kind of leveraging what we've what we're doing today with the infrastructure and our partners, and you know where's that going in the future, so we can help our customers look at this you know one three five year journey map. Awesome. Ramon, tell us a little about yourself. Uh, Ramon Thomas. I'm the design engineering manager at Red River. Um, I lead our pre-sales organization. So we're the front lines for customer support and uh, really helping customers identify any problems or technical issues they're having. And, and we're there to, to help them resolve them. Very cool. So last time we were together, we talked about the kind of the world that it you know that surrounds data and analytics, some of the challenges that people deal with. Today, I wanted to dig a little bit deeper into some specific things that Red River is doing. And I've heard that you guys have taken a, really a specific focus on solving some really crucial technical problems using a variety of technologies that some we've talked about and some we haven't that I want to sort of unpack. So, Kevin, why don't you talk to us a little bit about some of the, the unique frameworks and the offerings that you've built that you've really taken this ecosystem of tools together to solve a unique problem. Yeah, so we've got a a framework that we call XDIA, which is anything device isolation architecture. And so, you know, what we've kind of done is gone through and identified a lot of the tool sets out there that you focus on network security. Mm -hmm. And, you know, detect anomalies, you you know, StealthWatch from uh, Cisco, ICE from Cisco, uh, you know, Nessus, Tenable, you know, that kind of that that general product uh, suite or sweet spot there, and then what we've done is we layered and we've built a, a Splunk dashboard on top of it. So what that Splunk dashboard is really allowing us to do is visualize that machine data to identify when things are going normally and working as expected, but more importantly, what are the you know alerting when there's you know something unusual that's occurring. And when the, you have that unusual activity, you can dig in and dive through all the data in various formats, whether that be graphs, charts, or you know just uh, you know data correlation amongst everything, and then uh, allow ways to do some uh, take action against mm-hmm. that. Because again, you know, as we talked last time, one of my big things is if I have a dashboard, if I and I'm not taking action, I'm missing out on the key usage yeah. of that mm-hmm. dashboard. So how do we take action? Right now, there's still it's much more manual driven in terms of action. It gives you, there's a playbook, you know, hey, based on this, you should do one, two, three, four, you know, whatever. But the next step is to how do we go into more automation, you know, leverage things like Phantom or maybe Ansible or, you know, tool sets like that that are out there uh, to, you know, do that. Tie in with RPA as well, you know, as as we get, collect all this data and the robotic process automation. Mm -hmm. How do we make that easier to do if I've got to fill out a form do I really have to fill out all that form manually, or can I take the data that's there and actually, you know, populate it, you know, more smartly? So I'm curious. I want to I want to pull a thread here. So you talked about device isolation. Now we hear this this uh, these these crazy terms thrown out around yeah. IoT and devices, and we're in the IoT RV. 
Why is device isolation so critical, and why is it so hard today? So, for one of our, you know, one of our larger customer bases is you know medical uh, systems, mm. and so for them, they've got all kinds of IoT devices that are extremely. They've been in, in, in use for a long time, mm -hmm. and so the updates to firmware may or may not be available anymore. Or it could be they could be on ROM chips and there's no updates ever. You know, it is what it is. And some of those devices, I need them to run. I don't even if they're owned or compromised, I still need them to run. If I get a heart monitor, blood um, uh, blood pressure uh, things, MRI systems, I I can't have those go down. I need those to to run and I need to be able to get the data off of them. So we need to, but we need to protect the network at the same time. If those become compromised, how can we allow those to run, still get the data off in a you know secure and trusted fashion? Yeah. And so that's for you know for, that's kind of where this whole use case started was in that medical field, uh, so that we could isolate those devices off of the network and, and everything. You know the difficulty, like you said, sometimes they're wired, sometimes they're wireless, sometimes the it's you know RS two thirty two still is the uh, yeah, you know, yeah. communication uh, port so. How do we, you know, allow again allow that data to transmit the way that we are, mm -hmm. uh, but isolate it off based on something is is off about this thing? It's trying to phone. It's trying to call China all of a sudden. Oh, <laughs> oh, that, that's, that's not good. May, maybe, maybe not. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe, yeah. maybe it's calling the manufacturer and they're getting standard updates or you know things are like going on. But do we know that or is it? Are we expecting that? You know, so you know the whole concept of you know behavior uh, analysis. Yeah. What is my normal behavior and how is it not acting that way now? But it's not even you, you talked about that. It's like you know all these hardware challenges. Like, but it's also software challenge. It's not oh, sure. Tool, right, right. Right? sure. I'm a software guy. We, we never do anything wrong. You know, it's always <laughs> the hard, hardware side. So oh, <laughs> no, that's a, but absolutely, that's the. I mean, and that, that's the other piece of it too. Is that you know the firmware that's running on those. Mm -hmm. You know, it, a lot of the devices, you know, in in, his, in historical fashion, and even those coming out today on the you know less expensive security is not a primary component of what they're doing. It, yeah. It's about you know I, I know I need to operate and do this work. You know, this uh, this compute action, securing it. Why would I have to secure? Is all no nobody's going to try to hack it or use it in an unattended fashion, right? Well, this air conditioner. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. Exactly. Right. You, have to, you know, and, and I think that's you know part of it too, because a lot of those times that firmware was written, mm -hmm. and and other part of it too is the the available space mm -hmm. may not have been enough to really put that into place, or the clock cycles. You know, if I really put on my my you know propeller head and go way back in, in the you know way back machine. Yeah, I was when I was doing mobile devices. I had to be very conscientious of how much RAM I was using with each action and how many compute cycles I was taking each time I did that. Yeah. So I couldn't necessarily do all the security I wanted to on those things, you know, buffer overflows and things. I could do some of that, but I couldn't do as much as I wanted. And now I can't update it because that device is either not supported anymore. It was ROM, like I said. So I wrote it once, and that was what it is. Yeah. Um, so you know, there's just all kinds of reasons that there those challenges exist, mm -hmm. but how do we again continue to allow those devices to work? Um, and in other cases, maybe it's not medically required, but it's business required. I yeah. can't not have this thing run, yeah. and so I, how do I do that <clears throat> without you know losing my mind? Yeah, it's, it's XDIA was really built on the need to dynamically assign some some level of risk to devices that we might not have visibility into, mm -hmm. right? So uh, I think Kevin definitely hit the nail on the head there uh, with with uh, again <laughs> identifying how how this came to be. Yeah. Good. So you guys, so when an organization has this challenge of secure device isolation, this is something that they 
come alongside you. They use you, your team as consultants, as practitioners to help stand up these technologies. Is that how they engage with you? Absolutely, yeah. And, we, and what, you know, one of the first steps is, like, again, identifying those devices and then a categorization. Mm-hmm. of those. Right. I think that's the critical component of this whole thing is under, it's the metadata, right? Oh, yeah. What is this device? What do I need it to do? And what is the risk factor? Mm-hmm. And then how do we monitor, you know, feeds, medical devices, there's a lot of feeds that are coming from different uh, providers out there that, you know, this device is compromised or this device might be at risk, yeah. you know, for your awareness. Yeah. So you guys clearly do a lot of work in the medical device world, but you're also a medical space and clearly in government, these are life and death scenarios, yep. right? And security right. has to be at the forefront. So as you look at the kind of the, the constantly evolving uh, regulatory environment around security and cybersecurity, how are you guys helping uh, you know organizations tackle those new and evolving mandated requirements? So, so uh, again, from um, from the perspective of just staying ahead and being aware of what those policies are. Mm-hmm. I mean, like we we always are, are educating ourselves on on uh, things like uh, like NIST, uh, HIPAA, mm-hmm. et cetera. Um, so for, for, for us, it's taking the, the technologies that, that could be used to speak to some of the, the nuances of those policies mm-hmm. and applying them in a format that, that again, is, is uh, um, uh, that, that will, um, again, just uh, resolve any issues that, mm-hmm. that may come about. And a lot of that, again, it's a framework, it's a policy set, it's a set of processes, but it's not prescriptive in how you address that or how yeah. you solve it. It's, you know, these are the controls and the outcomes that you need to monitor and manage, mm-hmm. but there are hundreds to thousands of tools sometimes out there that claim they can do it. So yeah. working with our customers, mm-hmm. to which one will fit into their environment the yeah. best and meet their budget. Absolutely. And, you know, the thing with cybersecurity we always have to remember is that really it's all about risk. Yeah. What am I, what risk am I allowing to, you know, am I accepting? And what's my mitigation strategy? And if my tolerance is high, then it gives me a lot. You know, so but you know, again, that's one of those things we we see all these you know eight hundred fifty three with all the controls and the cybersecurity, which kind of the foundation for most of the frameworks out there today. But it, it's not prescriptive. So even understanding, well, how do you address this control? Yeah. Well, I could do this. I could do this. I could do this. In some cases, just by altering my process, I can do it. I don't necessarily need a tool. So that again, that that overused trusted advisor. Yeah. That's where we really try to you know understand the customer, not just go and pitch them something and try to force it down the throat. Nice. Now you guys have some other offerings besides the XDIA. Yep. XDIA. Tell me a little bit about some of the other offerings you're excited about. Yeah, so we we uh, recently just built an offering that uh, we we've had some marketing issues with. Uh, essentially, we, <laughs> okay. we we originally called it the uh, uh, security telematic data cleansing uh, solution. <laughs> which, <laughs> which, <laughs> yeah, right, 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 right. Which uh, exactly, which was how which, long did that take to get to be <laughs> caught? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, actually, it was uh, it was literally the next morning. We have uh, one of our engineers, Danny Fine, and he called. I sent out the email, and uh, he called me bright and early, and he goes, "I love it. This is one thousand percent going to be the name for the solution." Uh, and he he let us know that the acronym was in fact STD cleansing. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, I love that. So, 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 so basically, we, we, we've reformatted that clearly. Right? So, now, so now we're, we, we've moved on to uh, NAC data mapping, which is a uh, network access control data mapping. And, and what that
that really means is we're taking information from authentication, accounting, um, uh, from uh, different uh, NAC tools, mm-hmm. and and then we're applying custom uh, evals and props from Splunk to really build dashboards uh, that are specific to the use case of the customer. Um, mm-hmm. what, the customer that, that we built this specifically for um, had a need around CDM. And uh, we were able to uh, speak to the HWAM and, and SWAM dashboards that they had using some non-traditional CDM tools. Uh, one, uh, one was uh, Cis- Cisco ICE, um, mm-hmm. which they CDM originally when it came out in Phase One, it was uh, built around uh, Four Scout, mm-hmm. uh, which was the NAT tool of, of need at that point in time, and and the customer transitioned over to to ICE and we had to achieve the same level of visibility and the same level of, of data extrapolation there. And uh, we, we leveraged Splunk and, and its capabilities to do that. When uh, when you're onboarding this data and are building out these use cases, do you typically find this data already in Splunk uh, being used for other use cases or is it typically being ingested for that sole purpose? So a lot of times uh, what we find is is the customers are ingesting a ton of data into Splunk. So it is a lot of, a lot of times it's already there, um, but we, we help them make that that data useful, right, uh, by building these executive dashboards for them. Yeah, applying the use case around. Yeah, exactly. exactly. One of the challenges that they have is they are ingesting so much data that, again, they're, they're peeking out their license mm. right yeah. away, but they're not getting any value out of it. Right. So, again, right. we're, we're, we come in, we're trying to look at how do you get value. And we, you know, we had a side conversation earlier about, you know, all these IoT devices, how do we process at the edge and only send the data back that really needs to be sent back? Mm. And so that's part of this, the, the, the FDD. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> project is to, is to look at the data and say, okay, well, we don't need all of this data in Splunk right now. You know, right. we we don't want to lose it because eventually we will, but we're not getting any value out of it. Mm-hmm. So let's instead focus on what we are getting value out of, do some transformation on it, and then yeah. get it into the system and put that into the dashboard. Yeah. So, you know, we're not trying to diminish the license. We're actually trying to make it much more beneficial and extend the value. To the right. customer and we uh we leverage the uh the splunk machine learning toolkit as well oh, to cool. really yeah. really highlight any anomalous behavior that's there so uh, any outliers that that are uh, within that uh, that network access control data yeah. um we we pull in um the machine learning toolkit and, and give people a, a really direct answer as to what what needs to be addressed from a security perspective yeah splunk's machine learning toolkit it seems like a seems like an easier way to start to use Kind of modern machine learning capability, yes. Because you've already got the data in a secure format. I'm curious from from your all's perspective. You know, machine learning is obviously one of the most you know in vogue terms today to talk about. Yes. You can't be in technology and not have a machine learning solution. <laughs> right, right, right. But I'm curious when 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 you all are looking at solving some of these problems and the ways you develop these capabilities. I'm curious how do you guys assess the kind of the current state of of emerging technologies in terms of which ones are most important to you? Like, do you have a, an opinion, like, is machine learning real? Is it going to be the most powerful tool? Or what do you think about some of those new emerging trend techs? I think that's a, it's still TBD in terms of is that going to be the most impact? It has the potential to be extremely impactful and insightful. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, again, to me, it's about the, the process to get there. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody wants to say, okay, I'm an, I've got this data, throw it into machine learning. Yeah. But I don't even know which questions I want to ask or yes. what, I, what I really expect it to deliver. Um, so I think over time, as we get you know more mature and better handle on that, I absolutely see uh, you know machine learning mm-hmm. uh, taking off. You know the deep learning. How do I take that model mm-hmm. and apply it against an even bigger data set where I don't have to do as much training? Mm-hmm. That would be really interesting. You know, yeah. you know, as simple as you know object recognition. You know, mm-hmm. the other 
thing that I've noticed is that people are they get a little scared of when you talk AI because it sounds really hardcore technical. It's really complicated and comp but in a lot of ways it's been around for a long time. Object yeah, recognition, yeah. video recognition, again I I show my age here. I was doing that in the nineties. Yeah. You know, late eighties, nineties. <laughs> it's been around for a long time. It doesn't have to be so scary to our customers. And I think that's part of our job too, is to come in and, and help them understand and relate. This is not this is this this is mature in many aspects. It's not Brand stinking new. It, yeah. It's always going to evolve, right? There's going to be new mm -hmm. components and new tenants of it. But. Yeah, yeah and, and even when you look behind the uh, covers of the machine learning toolkit with Splunk, you see things that uh, you're familiar with from like high school math, right? Like yeah. Your standard deviation, linear regression, yeah, yeah. things of that sort. So uh, it's, it's always pretty interesting to to really just highlight to the agencies that we support that, hey, this this has been around for a long time. We're just we're just automating these processes and yeah. making it easier yeah. for you to consume. But I think we, yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> and we want to, you know, we don't want customers to jump to the conclusion of, you know, also that this is going to, you know, video recognition, you know, from the military standpoint, it's going to be 100% accurate and I'm always going to know it's a bad guy. Yeah. You know, even Star Trek can't do that for 100%. <laughs> so, you know, you know, well, as they say, any model, every model is wrong. Yeah. There's just many that are useful. Yes. Right. Right? Understanding that's the, you got to have that probabilistic viewpoint of the world. Right. Which is why it's called learning, right? You've got to continue yeah. to that's learn. Good, that's a good point. That's why yeah. it's called learning. So when you're, when you're thinking about you know, machine learning, you, you talked about it's hard and sometimes scary for pe people to adopt. Why is that? Like, what, Is it that they lack the skills or they lack the vision? I think the, the messaging out there makes it even more complex because you know mm. because it's it's so futuristic sounding it's you know even some of the use cases that are put out there it's really futuristic you know, but how do we boil it down to again what's accomplishable within a short you know the, the near term and then the long term and approaching it like that and then there's you know it data scientists man that what there's a lot of confusion. What does that mean? What is, yeah. what is yeah. a data scientist? So now people are thinking, oh, I got to go hire all these data scientists, and they're going to cost me millions of dollars to hire a team that can <laughs> really. And yes, you need the domain experts. You need those data scientists. Yeah. But the tool sets that are coming out, you know, with Splunk, uh, ML Toolkit, even in the cloud, some of those toolkits, yeah. there's there's a democratization of absolutely mm -hmm. of AI and ML. Yeah. The more we can leverage that and share that, I think it'll make a difference. Do you see a, a need for a, a better, bigger need to have subject matter expertise versus data scientists with with the democratization of machine as learning? That, as that evolves, in I'd say in a large number of instances and industries, yeah, the domain expertise is going to be the most critical. But as we're really getting into you know genealogy and you know DNA and analytics and the that you're still going to want the data scientist because how does that data correlate and really mean something and what is the underlying result coming out? That's you're still going to need absolutely those types of people. But you know, a lot of the day-to-day -day type stuff that we're seeing the use cases around now with that democratization, I think that domain expertise will go a long ways. Yeah. So you both lead uh, teams of you know highly technical resources. And you work with organizations that are trying to build out their technical capabilities to solve these emerging problems. I'm curious when you think about the skills that are necessary for, you know, our next wave of engineers, whether it's, you know, young folks out of college or even kind of folks earlier in their career that are looking to kind of expand their skill set into those areas that are going to make them, you know, better employees, more hireable. What do you think some of those like top level skills are? that would make somebody a really useful engineer to both Red River, but also to your customers? Wow, I, 
So that's a that's a pretty loaded question <laughs> <laughs> because when, when you look at just our just our workforce and all the engineers we have on our team, I mean we have a, a phenomenally diverse um, amount of skills across our team. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I think that's the attribute that we look for mostly in, in any engineer is the ability to continually learn um, mm-hmm. and and I would say maybe uh, foundational. Uh, knowledge is is really important because a lot of people skip over sort of the the entry level things like just understanding the basic uh, networking and, mm-hmm. and and basic security protocols things of that sort. So um, having a really solid baseline mm-hmm. and then finding yourself into a special specialization of of your choice that you you really love and you you wouldn't mind just continually go deep in. Uh, that's the same advice I would I would give someone just starting out. Awesome. Yeah. For me, the curiosity, you know, oh, yeah. an hmm. engineer, I mean, you know, we were talking earlier, I still dork around with Raspberry yeah. Pis and everything. You know, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I love technology. I just want to play with it. And it yeah. may not have any natural relevance to my next day, yeah. but I'm learning something and I'm figuring things out. And, you know, again, as a software guy, it, for me, with Red River, I've had a great opportunity to really start truly understanding networking and what that means and data center compute. I'm not a subject matter expert. I'm not, but I have the, an appreciation that I love. Yeah. Yeah. And so that, that when I you know talk to people and look you know look to hire people, it's really do you have that love to continue to learn? Do you really want to you know figure things out? You know, if it's not working, are you going to give up? Or are you going to try, you know, Google it? Am I going to Google for you? Or are you yeah. going to Google for yourself? <laughs> right, you know, right, 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 um, right. But that, and, and that's it's a hard. Not everybody's built that way, and yeah. that's that's great. You know, there's a opportunity for everybody out there. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm curious. So, obviously, we're we're super appreciative of Red River Technology supporting the road trip to Conf, but that means we're ending at .conf. So, Splunk's beginning a user conference. I'm curious, from your perspective, are there anything? Is there anything you're looking forward to? You're hoping to hear or wanting to see coming out of that conference? Man, I, I love the product announcements. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, Splunk has been growing exponentially over the last few years, and and every year they're they're journeying into different realms i mean uh, i remember when uba came out that was a big <laughs> yep. announcement and and uh the machine learning toolkit we got a deep dive and some training there if you uh so so i'm just waiting to see what's next right so it's <laughs> extremely exciting to, to see where uh what they've been developing yeah no, i agree the, the product announcements the uh the model changes mm-hmm. you know how do you know consumption changes how do we make it easier for people to consume but also you know make it uh you keep it affordable yeah. And make it you know uh, more diverse in terms of how data is accessed. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Splunk Stream and things like that. I think are really yeah. interesting. You know, and then, you know some other things that are happening out there. Do I have to ingest everything in a Splunk, or are there ways to do lookup <laughs> tables and things like that? Which yeah. you know, that those are the types of things I'm really excited as well as the extent the next generation of the machine learning toolkit and everything else. Mm-hmm. And the T-shirts. They always yeah, have well, of course, yes. <laughs> you can't yes, forget the right, T-shirts. Right, yeah, right, right. That's right. So. Gonna, yes. <laughs> right, right, right. That's awesome. They, I heard somebody say Splunk is a, a T-shirt company with a software problem. That's, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. That's, that's very really accurate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, at Comp2, is, it's nice for a, to see industry and what they're doing and get, you know, see somebody else's use case and, oh, what if I did this on top of it? Yeah. Or is that somebody we could partner with and do something creative for our customers? It's a great way to bring everybody together. Yeah, that's that's very true. You learn the most just at the lunch table or just mm-hmm. walking in the hallways and just, you know, having co- ad hoc conversations with your peers. Yeah. Um, that's that's always extremely enlightening. Yeah, well, I want to clue in our listeners, too. Uh, one of the things that I think 
is neat. Red River Technologies recognizes that it takes a lot of technology to solve problems. Mm -hmm. So you guys partner well with companies like Splunk, with Dell Technologies, VMware, and others. Well, you guys actually are sponsoring a really awesome happy hour on uh, Tuesday night of Conf at 7 p.m. at Yardbird. And you guys, uh, I want to encourage our listeners, if you want to go to that, you can stop by the Dell Technologies booth at, uh, at the conference, and we'll have invitations there. Uh, and we'll try to make sure and include a link to the registration. But I'm excited to be there because I know there's going to be a lot of, <laughs> like you said, yeah, customers right. that are just trying to solve problems in your right, network right. and hear what they're trying to do. And, and I think that's a, that's a beautiful thing that Red River does is you really bring together lots of ecosystem partners with expertise in engineering to solve unique problems. It's been really great to talk to you guys today, again, about Red River <laughs> Technologies and Splunk and how you're using it to solve unique problems. A lot from our guests about big data, but now it's time to get a bit personal. In a segment we like to call Rapid Fire. Pew, pew. Okay, Ramon, time for Rapid Fire. You ready? Right, I'm ready. Question one. What is your favorite Splunk command use case or dashboard that you've seen? Command use case or dashboard? I'm going to say um, uh, I, the, the one we just discussed, the machine learning toolkit and yeah. being able to, to identify outliers, uh, easily identify outliers. I yeah, I love it. Awesome. Question number two. What piece of technology is currently making your life worse? <laughs> so I have a two-year-old daughter, and um, we have a smart TV with a wireless NIC on it that's not functioning right now, and oh. she cannot watch Pepper Pig um, on the <laughs> TV, which is which she lets me know all the time by everything. That, 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 yeah, yeah, uh, and and my be. background is in wireless technology, so the fact that I can't get this thing to work is like the bane of my existence. Oh, it's just more haunting you and insulting <laughs> right, right. you at this point. <laughs> right, right, right. But I will fix it. That's awesome. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> so what is your favorite Splunk t-shirt saying you've seen? Um, Looking for trouble. Yeah. Looking I like for that trouble. one. Yeah, yeah. It's a that's great a, one. Yeah. What TV show are you binging right now? Obviously not Pepper the Pig. It's not, it's not, it's not, it's not Pepper Pig. Um, I'll say, uh, uh, actually, last night, American Horror Story. Oh, so yeah. I'm, I'm, I have, yeah, the Halloween theme. It's yeah. October. I just get a little bit brisk here. So American yeah. Horror Story has been on repeat in, uh, nice. in my household. My wife and I binge that every season. You know, yeah, just, it's oh, great. It's it, a great show. It's what you have to do before Halloween. <laughs> there you go. Or you during. Go. Yep. Okay, question five. What is your favorite Splunk Base app? Um, Splunk Base app. Uh, I think we mentioned it earlier. Uh, UBA. UBA. Uh, UBA. Yeah, it, I think it has a lot of potential there, and and um, we've been we've been tinkering with different use cases to to apply with UBA. So I'd say that. that Very would be my, cool. My Last one. You ready? All right. Question six. Where is the next interesting place you're visiting? Interesting place. Um. I'm going to, I'm going to New Hampshire. Oh, yeah. So Red Rivers corporate headquarters is in Claremont, New Hampshire. Um, It's you know about two hours outside of Boston. So, uh, you know, if you need to kind of get away from uh, the hustle and bustle of major cities, it's a it's a place that you can do that and really reflecting. Actually, get a lot of work done. I I heard a new term. I was introduced by uh, our our buddy Brett Roberts, who lives in Boston, and he said apparently if you if it's the fall and you go into New Hampshire or Vermont, you go leafing. 
Leafing yeah. is when you go look at the beautiful colors <laughs> of fall. And I was like, people do that. He's like, yeah, hipsters from the, or he said, he said yuppies from the city. So maybe you can go see, that you is, can go leafing. That is a thing. It is, it, 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 it is a beautiful, beautiful time of year to go there, actually. Yeah. So I, I understand why that's an attraction. That's awesome. Well, so. gentlemen, it has been awesome to have you on the Big Data Beard podcast. And I want to say another giant thank you for your support of the Big Data Beard road trip to Conf. And thank you for solving interesting problems for our customers using this crazy array of technologies that it takes to be successful in enterprise today. So thank you again for joining the Big Data Beard podcast. Thanks for listening to the Big Data Beard podcast. This amazing adventure would not be possible without our incredible sponsors. We thank you, Dell Technologies, VMware, Red River Technologies, Coming. Till next. Keep.